What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Grabs Podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what we do here. But in case you stumbled in or this is the first one you're hearing, our goal here is simple. It's to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual fire ground rescues in the hopes of making us all a little smarter, more effective, and more efficient. Our guest today wants to remain anonymous, but we're fortunate enough to hear his powerful story so that we can all learn from his experience. Um, so, sir, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Yeah. Hey, hey, Nick, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Uh, a little bit about myself. I'm a 12-year student of the fire service. Uh, I've been with my current department as a career firefighter for the last five years, um, and I work on an engine company in the downtown area in the city. Perfect. Can you tell us a little bit about your department without giving the department name away, but like, what are the demographics? How big is this city? How many houses? Stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So the city we, the city we protect is roughly half a million people. Uh, combination department, uh, ballpark is like between 40 and 50 stations currently. Uh, 20 of them are staffed 24 seven. Um, we run engines quints, so we get two trucks. Um, we get four firefighters on our engines, four firefighters on our quints. And the minimum staffing for our truck companies is uh, two firefighters. So the driver and the captain, if we get extra staff, they get, they get to ride on the back of that. Okay. And since we're going to be talking about multifamily dwelling fire today, what do you guys send on a first alarm and second alarm or third alarm to a multifamily dwelling fire? Uh, yeah. So we don't differentiate from single family versus uh, multifamily at the moment. So on a first alarm assignment, we'll get three engines a quint or a truck, whichever is closest, uh, we'll get a uh, hazmat will come. Our hazmat truck, yeah, hazmat truck responds. We get a district chief and we get a safety officer. And that's for our first alarm. And then every other alarm above that gets two engines and a quint or a truck. And if it's a big enough fire, another chief will usually jump on the second alarm and then call in more resources as needed. Okay. Perfect. And the captains also have the ability to request a single piece above a two alarm type of thing. So if they show up and they think they can get it done with an extra piece, they'll just call for that extra unit. Okay. Uh, this one's a little bit more nebulous, but what's the search culture within your department? Um, what I mean by that is who typically searches? How often are you sending multiple uh, crews to do the primary? And then how often do you guys train on, on search? Uh, so... I'd say it'd be, it'd be uh, who searches is based on order of arrival. Just because you ride a quint or a truck doesn't mean that you're going to get assigned truck work. It's basically as, as the resources show up, they kind of get assigned based on what needs to be done. Um, about, I'd say the majority of the time, fire attack will search once they're done knocking the fire down. If there's okay. reports of entrapment, search might be assigned front load. Like they may load that fire floor with an extra crew to get the search done behind the line. But I would say that um, we don't go many places without a charged hose line. So whoever's doing fire attack, break off, do an oriented search, get it done type of thing. As for training, in our recruit training, we cover vent enter search and mainly oriented search with the captain staying on the line with the thermal imager and having his firefighters search either side of the hallway or rooms as they come up on them. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the rescue that, that you and your crews made? Um, and I'm going to prompt you with a couple of things and you don't have to answer all of these, but what was the date? What, what time of day was it at? What was it dispatched as? Were there any reports of victims? What rig were you on? What did the building look like? Kind of just kind of paint this picture for us. Uh, so four years ago this month, 
um, around 4.35 a.m., uh, we got tagged on the third alarm for a working fire across the city. Um, it was an L-shaped apartment building, four stories. About 150 people lived in the building at the time. Um, so we were coming across the city on the third alarm, so we missed a lot of the initial arrival and stuff. But crews showed up to a, an apartment fire on the third floor, heavy fire, auto-exposing to the fourth floor and into the attic. Um, when we showed up, a lot of gear was already on scene, so we kind of tucked our engine out of the way and reported to the command post. Um, multiple ground ladders, uh, ground ladder rescues were being done, as well as people were taken off um, with the quints that were first due. So we respond. We showed up to the command post, um, gave our accountability tags, asked the chief what needed to be done, and we actually got tasked uh, to the fire floor to relieve the first two crews that were on there. So the captains had a face to face. Um, the first due piece actually threw a ladder to the third floor, the fire floor, um, and performed a ladder rescue of that occupant and then chose to stretch line over ladder, go through the apartment, down the hallway to the fire apartment. So when we showed up, they had already plucked somebody off that balcony. The line was already there. It was tied to the ladder. So we proceeded up, made entry and, uh, it was, you know, moderate heat, moderate visibility. It was kind of like a grayish smoke. Um, we turned our flashlights off right away because it, was, it wasn't making anything better for us. We kind of had that um, high beams in a snowstorm effect, kind of made everything worse for us. So we went about searching without our, our lights. Um, followed the hose line, started knocking fire back down in the hallway, kind of chased it back into the apartment. Um, put out some fire there. And eventually we were told by the incident commander to leave the apartment because the fourth floor apartment above it was about to collapse in ours. So we kind of pulled out of our apartment. You know, we were standing in the hall, kind of a lull in action. And uh, I just looked directly across the fire, um, the fire unit, and there was another apartment directly across from it. And I just, I checked the doorknob to see, you know, if it was locked, if it was open, it hadn't been forced. And I noticed that the doorknob, the door was locked and I kind of had a, like a light bulb moment to say, well, if the door's locked and it hasn't been forced means it, the fire floor, fire floor probably hasn't been searched. So I told my captain, we forced the door, we went in, um, visibility was fairly, it was a little bit better at that point. So we split search. He went, he went right, uh, right. I went left, searched the apartment right quick, came out, shut the door. And we were going to meet the other half of our crew that went out to recycle. And when we got back to the balcony, I told the driver that the fire floor hadn't been searched. And he said, all right, well, let's go. So we, uh, we proceeded. We searched the hallway first. And in front of the elevators is where we found our victim. Um, she was laying on her back. And he ran back, told the captain, um, that we had a victim. The captain initially asked for one of the trucks to reposition their stick to the balcony so we could get the victim out. But unfortunately, that ladder was to the roof. The crews were trenching the roof to try to stop the fire from spreading. So that was a no-go. So we chose to bring her back out the way we came in. Um, kind of did an, uh, an extremities carry. Um, wasn't a heavy victim. Um, elderly female, maybe 130 pounds, um, wearing, you know, a nightdress, sooty, sweaty, really slippery. 
we got her back to the balcony and that's where we kind of started running into some problems because the ladder initially had been thrown um, to make entry into the apartment. The, vi the, the victim that they rescued initially was fairly mobile. So they didn't really need a lot of help. They were able to kind of climb over the balcony and get on the ladder. So the ladder was placed with rungs going past um, the railing. So when we got her back to the balcony, it wasn't like we just couldn't plop her on the firefighter who was on the ladder's arms. We had to inchworm her around the ladder, basically up off the balcony and onto his arms. And it was really difficult. Um, a couple of times we thought she was going to fall. But eventually we got her, uh, we got her on his arms. He brought her down and uh, we went back, finished our search, the search of the fire floor, and then uh, came back and recycled. And uh, unfortunately, when they got her to EMS, um, they started working her and uh, the, med the attending paramedic checked her airway and she had airway burns. So she was pronounced on scene. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much how it went down. So you said you found her by the, um, the elevators. Was that, yep. the, was that the closest exit route from her apartment? So not for her. Her apartment was actually the first apartment once you came in from the emergency stairs. So like the exit. If she would have left her apartment and turned right, she would have been in the stairs. The emergency exit. And, and was the fire, did it originate in her apartment as well? It was, yeah. It was her apartment that was so, the start. So when she left her apartment, was that door open to the to the common hallway? I do believe it was. Okay. And then somehow smoke filled that center hallway, and then she went down by the elevator. Is that the best guess that we have at this point in time? That's 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 what my that's that's what our guess is. Um, okay. My guess is, you know, um, elderly female probably doesn't take the stairs to go up to the third floor. So her apartment's on fire. She turned left and she went to the elevators because that's how she gets in and out of her building. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're pretty darn fit. How important was being in good shape to this operation? Do you think it could have looked differently if you and your crew were in worse shape? Uh, yes, I, I, I do think it could have been, it could have been a lot worse. Um, I, she wasn't, she was, she wasn't very heavy, but everything just makes everything's just harder because they're sweaty. They're sooty. They usually don't wear much clothes. And, um, I definitely think that if, uh, if physical fitness, like the whole crew is in, in pretty good shape. Um, I think, I think it definitely could have been a different story if, uh, if, if we, if we were in a bit lesser shape, I would say. And, and obviously the result was not what we wanted, but, but even, so far as because there was lines over ladder, because there was rungs above that window and you kind of had to inch her around, you said there was a couple of times where you thought that you might let go of her. Um, do you think your fitness had, had something to do with, with making sure that she didn't fall as well there? Yeah, uh, probably a little bit. Um, it was just, it's the way we, it's, I don't know how I would say this, but if, if like functional exercises would, would probably be best, like you, you don't, you don't practice those, you don't exercise those muscles to do those movements, but being in generally good shape and fairly strong could probably have helped, but it, uh, it's definitely not easy regardless of how strong you are to hold on to somebody who's sweaty and sooty and not wearing much clothing, but it definitely could have gone, um, 
So it took three of us to put her on the ladder, even though she only weighed 130 pounds, just the way she was, how we had to manipulate her. It was a lot of upper body stuff, just arms trying to inchworm her around. And it was, uh, yeah, it was challenging for sure. Yeah. It's a tough operation. And because that the, and I'm, I'm assuming at this point in time, but because that line is over the ladder and it's probably somehow lashed to that ladder, you couldn't change the height of that ladder, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the line went through one of the rungs and it was tied to the rungs. So it's not like we could have lowered the ladder down just for our rescue, unfortunately. Yeah. That's a tough operation right there. So, so strong work, uh, finding a way to, to work around that. Um, what's one lesson from this fire that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Um, well, to go back to the ladder thing, um, I think when we throw ladders, um, we should, we should probably throw ladders, whether it's to a window or to balconies that we could throw them um, either below the sill or below the balcony as the general rule, because I'm sure that our intention, even though we intend to go over the ladder to stretch a line, do a line over ladder or whatever it could be, we don't know if we're going to find somebody. And if we have to take them out, um, you know, maybe have like a, a rescue oriented approach to throwing ladder to think that I'll throw it this way. I can still accomplish what I need to do. And if we have to bail out or we have to rescue somebody, it's going to make the operation flow a lot smoother. I love that point. I think that's something that's, that's super mindful. I I, I see in books all the time. Like if you're going to throw ladders for this, you throw it here. If you're going to do it for that, you throw it here. If it's going to be ventilation or for attack or for rescue, and they're giving you all these options when to me, I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Everything should default to rescue and we should find a way to, to work around uh, everything else because you don't know five minutes into an operation that you might need this for rescue. Now you thought you needed it for something else and you need it for rescue right now. Absolutely. Has this fire changed your mindset towards the job, how you train or how you search? Um, I would say for me personally, it has, um, I'm not hundred percent sure what it's done for the department. Um, but I, I would definitely say that for me, I now keep, um, I, I keep searching my mind as a priority and I try to tailor my thoughts and actions towards it. Um, at that fire, I was, I was the junior firefighter by 10 years, at least on my crew. And, you know, just thinking right quick that if, if the door directly across the fire units locked and not force, nobody searched here yet. Right. It, I don't think it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what rank you hold or how much experience you have on the crew. I think search should be in everybody's mind. It should be everybody's responsibility and, you know, take the opportunity to bring it up at a fire. If you think it's been missed or it needs to be done. Um, but I'd say, yeah, it's, I started to think more about search um, after that fire, things that could have been done different. Um, I find that when we show up to fires, we operate on a stopwatch. So we start the clock when we show up and whenever we get our benchmarks done, it's just whatever it is, we try to get them done in a timely fashion and that's good. But unfortunately the people were there to help and save. They're not on a stopwatch. They're on a timer, except we just don't really know how much time they have left. So every time we can shave seconds, whether it be masking up with gloves on or turning your bottle on in the rig, when you're pulling up to the fire, um, you know, it's all seconds that we can take back for them type of thing. That was beautiful. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything else that we didn't touch on or you want to make sure that you hit uh, to our listeners? Uh, so maybe just one little thing. Um, after we recycled, after we, we were finished our search, 
we actually got sent to another working fire two streets down. The crews that were on the roof ventilating could see the header from the roof. So because we had parked out of the way on, uh, when we showed up on the third alarm, we were the first ones to get sent to the fire two streets down. Um, really short drive, basically swapped out our radio batteries going down the road and dispatch came over the air and said that there was reports of entrapment at this second fire. Um, so when we showed up, we were first, um, lady comes out, grabs the driver and said, my babies, my babies are in there. So just coming from a fire where we had a grab, you know, well, we're going to, we're going to do it over. Um, so we went in there, we, uh, we searched both floors and came out empty handed and we're kind of puzzled until we came out and talked to the, uh, the lady who had said that her babies were in there and the babies turned out to be cats. So, um, a solid bystander interview, um, probably could have saved us some grief initially. Um, whether it be, um, you know, um, species or how old are they or what's their name or where are they and certain things like that definitely could have helped us in our approach yeah a lot of a lot of good nuggets there that was a busy couple hours for you for you fellas and ladies yeah it uh it definitely was it was uh it was a good shift <laughs> well i want to thank you so much for sharing your experience with us we really appreciate your time and your authenticity for everyone listening, if you or anyone else you know makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out a quick survey. That's one survey per rescue. So we can all get smarter, better, and faster. And if you make a grab and you want to share your experience with all of our listeners, please reach out to either Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or myself, Nick Ladine, and we'll try to record an episode. Lastly, thank you to everyone listening uh, and take care. Yeah.